Hey, what's up, everybody? We're back. Wow, that was also really cringy. I got to get better at my introductions, man. But we're back with the second episode of Classically Untrained. I'm your host, Justin. And with me today, I have a friend of mine, Melissa Munoz. And uh, Melissa, so what are your pronouns, first of all? She, her, hers. Okay, great. And Melissa is a old classmate of mine. We went to UT Austin together, Hookham, and she graduated in 2018 with her BM and then went on to Yale, go Bulldogs, for uh, her master's, which she just graduated from in the spring. And now we're both at Colburn uh, and Colburn doesn't have a mascot. So I can't say, I can't say. Not yet. Not yet. I'll just use the Dodgers. I'll just say, go Dodgers for, yeah. for Colburn. <laughs> okay, go but Lakers. yeah. Go Lakers. There we go. Ah, I can't say that as a Spurs fan. Oh, oh man. But you yes. could be both. I, I could be both. And you know what? I've had this, this inner conflict for a while now that when I ultimately end up in LA for school, I'm going to have to, I'm going to want some LA swag, you know, in terms of the Lakers, but I gotta oh, totally. stay. Lo- I gotta stay loyal to the Spurs some way. So maybe I'll have like a Lakers hat, and then like that that cool new Fiesta Spurs jersey. You know, with the oh, Fiesta yeah. colors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that would be cool. It would be cool. And then UT pants. And then and then Just UT r- pants. Wrap everything. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, Melissa is awesome. She is doing a lot of really great stuff right now. Um, and Melissa, why don't you just tell us a little bit about that really great stuff? Uh, I think that you're referring to Brass Out Loud. Yes. Uh, so Brass Out Loud is a new organization that was founded by myself, Rebecca Karu, and Kate Amrine. And we actually met um, online through this Facebook group that I started called FTNB uh, Brass Players. And actually, Kate and I started it together. And we realized that there wasn't really a safe space for non-cis men in the brass community um, to talk about and share experiences. So she and I created that together. And now we have over 2,500 members in the page. And uh, one day Rebecca had posted that she wanted to start this new workshop because there have been a lot of uh, talk about not enough inclusion and diversities uh, or sorry, inclusion and diversity in these workshops. So we decided to make one of our own. So Brass Out Loud is gonna be taking place between January 8th and 10th of 2021. It's a three-day workshop for brass players everywhere. We have a great faculty of all race and genders and the classes that we're offering are warm-up classes, performance master classes. We even have some yoga classes. Uh, and mindset, entrepreneurship, literally everything you can think of. So uh, there's a really wide range of courses you can take, all for the low price of $120. So y'all check it out. Our website is brassoutloud.com. You have just a few days before early registration ends, and you get a free t-shirt if you register before then. So check it out. Free Uh, t-shirt, people. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the logo is pretty cool too. So it is, it is. I can attest to this. I have seen said logo and it is actually pretty cool. Uh, Do you guys have any other socials? I know you do. You got, you have to have an Instagram page. Uh, Yes. We have an Instagram page at brass out loud. You can also follow us on Facebook. 
do that people they're doing really great stuff here and i actually uh i, I don't know kate but also shout out to rebecca and kate for also being co-founders of this i think what you guys are doing are is incredibly important with brass being such a you know cis male dominated field you know it, it, this we need a space like this and i think the work you guys are doing and is uh, quite amazing actually. And I think that this is just the start and I can't wait for how far this is going to go. Cause I think really this is only the beginning. Uh, but yeah, I actually went to Swanee summer music festival with Rebecca way back in 2016. Uh, and you know, she was really great, great hang. Uh, we, we had fun like with our little friend group, you know, so that was pretty cool. Uh, it's a small world. It really is. <laughs> the music world is extremely small. Uh, for better and for worse. And right. yes, so Brass Out Loud is really cool because, you know, you guys also have like a, uh, like a weekly, I it is weekly, the uh, Bold Chats. Yeah. Yes, we just started a series on Facebook Live called Bold Chats. And each week we're going to be hosting one to two uh, faculty members of Brass Out Loud and we host live Q&A sessions and uh each week we have different people we just had carol yanch today actually this morning and i'm really excited for friday's uh bold chats it's going to be with kiku collins who is an incredible trumpet player that is performed with the biggest names you can think of like beyonce and michael bolton wow and so that's so yeah. awesome yeah and and for those who who aren't familiar with carol yanch she is the principal tubist of the philadelphia orchestra and one of the only female tuba players like just ever in a major orchestra in a, yeah, in a major orchestra sure. you know she and um you know i listened to you guys bold chat this this morning and it was great you know carol had so many great things to say so shout out to carol too if you're by chance listening to this you know i i really enjoyed your talk and uh your advice was very helpful you know especially during the pandemic to kind of talk honestly about, you know, maybe her like lack of motivation that I think a lot of us are feeling, you know, about. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And just everything else she said was really great. And she seems to be helping you guys out with, with this whole process of getting started. And she seems to be like in your, in y'all's corner. So, you know, shout out to there, to her there. But yeah, you know, thanks for coming on and doing the show, Melissa. Like this is this is great. I'm glad we get to sit down and talk. You know, we. Uh, it's been like, a while. Yeah, it's it has been a while. You know, Melissa and I met my first year at UT through a mutual friend of ours, Lindsay. Lindsay, if you're listening, hi. Uh, and and it was it was funny. This was at a time when. I was kind of a little, little rambunctious kid, you know, just, <laughs> just getting into school and kind of not, didn't find my place yet, but you know, Melissa and Lindsay were always really cool and uh, we're, we're good hangs even back then. So yeah, Melissa, so where did you go to high school and like, how did you get started on this whole musical journey? Well, I went to high school in Kerrville, Texas, which is not too far from San Antonio. It's about 45 minutes from the, um, well, from Fiesta, Texas. That's the best, <laughs> the best Northwest. that I can, very, like the very top of San Antonio, about 45 minutes away from there. Um, but I actually started playing the trumpet when I was nine and I started in California. I was born in California. 
went to school there until um, the end of that year. And those were my two options. And my sister played the trumpet. So I decided that I also wanted to play the trumpet because of that. And even then, I remember just kind of picking it up pretty naturally. I knew how it was supposed to sound. And uh, I was even in a community band and a little marching band as a nine-year-old. And uh, there was some of the best I mean, that's why I fell in love with it was just because you get to play with other people. And then I moved to Texas to Kerrville and they didn't have band in the sixth grade. So I joined the orchestra program and I played the cello and the cello and I did not get along. It was a horrible experience for me. I was awful. And so then when sixth grade came around, I um, went back to the trumpet and I was really fortunate that my sixth grade uh, trumpet teacher was a phenomenal player and he would demonstrate everything for us. It was back and forth all the time. And um, his name is Kevin Jordan and now he teaches in Lano. And he was um, he was very instrumental in my progress as a trumpet player. He would always help me out, give me tips and um, was great even throughout middle school and high school and still to this day, big supporter of mine. Uh, and then I went to middle school and you know, that's the way it is. I grew up in the typical Texas band system doing region band and uh, the grind. I wasn't really, yeah, I wasn't really that competitive though. I don't think until I got to high school and I realized what actually could be if you took music seriously. Uh, so I did region band my freshman year and I got like not a great chair or something, but a friend of mine had done really well. So he advanced to area and I was like, well, what the hell? I want to advance to area. I didn't even know what area was, but I knew that I wanted to be a part of it. And so ever since then, I was just on the grind really, really hard um, to just be the best, honestly. And I, uh, I never took lessons until my senior year of high school. And I was really fortunate to take lessons with this man named George Eichner. And he, after a while, just started teaching me for free because my scholarship um, that I got through our orchestra in town ran out. So uh, he he really helped me out a lot. And then I went to UT and that's where we met. And um, yeah, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and for those who, who don't know about Texas Allstate, Man, this is basically like winning a job. Like you have to go through the nine circles of hell just to get to state, you know, and in most states and in some smaller states, at least, you know, you audition and, and you can make area and state kind of right off of the first audition, but not in Texas. Here in Texas, uh, you know, you have to kind of go through this process of of district and then from district you go on to to region and then from region you go on to area and then at area you go on to state and it's just this whole like very grueling process and so to make it far in this is really it requires a lot of dedication and hard work and uh you know melissa you've always been a very hard worker I, you know i remember you would always be there like kind of early at school practicing and um it was, it was always, it was always great. You know, you're always like, you know, eyes on the bag, you know? So that was pretty cool. You know, and in high school, you know, I think it's, it's pretty interesting. You know, I myself really didn't have lessons until I was a senior. Uh, and so I, I kind of understand that struggle. 
And it's kind of made either better or worse when you have a director who maybe isn't uh, isn't helpful or is helpful. And so, you know, how were your band directors? Because these were the people that that you had, you know, they for better or for worse. So how, how were they? Yeah, so um, I was in a unique situation in high school because I had a new director every single year. Um, people did not want to stick around and there are reasons, of course. We weren't the best kids. I'm not going to say that we didn't give our teachers hell, but also there's a mindset. And so I'll just start from the beginning. Uh, I had a director, his name was James Fry, my freshman year and sophomore year. And my sophomore year, um, well, you know, he was kind of a hard ass. He really, he was like a huge drum corps dude, wanted us to be really strict, but that just wasn't the vibe of the band. And so it, did not mesh very well, him and the students. But um, I have this one experience of standing in jazz band and I decided, no, I'm gonna play lead today. I wanna play the lead book. And he looked at me and in front of the entire jazz band told me that I could never play lead trumpet because I'm a girl. And those words have really stuck with me for, um, moving forward. And I'm not, it's not to say like, oh man, that really destroyed my confidence because it didn't, but it was the first time I had felt any sort of um, gender discrimination as a brass player. And then from that moment forward, it started becoming a little bit more apparent to me. And it's not to say that there are these, like people are blatantly rude, but there are microaggressions that occur that not everybody would notice unless you're a minority who experiences them. But um, he ended up getting fired, which is fine. <laughs> yes, then, that is very uh, fine. <laughs> I had another director who came in my sophomore year, and her name uh, is Stephanie West, and now she's Stephanie Bryan, and we called her Mama West, and she <laughs> was just incredible. She was on our side, and she didn't she didn't let anybody. Uh, number one, nobody could mess with her. She and I got into a tiff once, also, because uh, I'm just kind of a stubborn person, and she called me out on it. And I was like, oh, sh okay, that's fine. And uh, we were still in contact to this day, but she was a really great educator. And then I had um, another director, Marty Leonard, and he now teaches at Texas State at the, or sorry, not Texas State, Shriner University, oh, okay, which cool. is um, the university in my hometown, Kerrville. But he actually drove me and my friend to Texas State Solo and Ensemble our sophomore year because um, that director that I was telling you about, James Fry, didn't arrange any way for us to get there, even though we had advanced. So we were kind of SOL. We were like, oh, cool, we got ones memorized. We were capable to go to state, but we had no resources to get there. So he, um, he, he was great, and he always pushed me to do better, and really helped me out and gave me resources. And that's the one thing that I'm very thankful for because my directors and all of my teachers have always um, given me a lot of resources. And I feel very lucky because I know that that could have easily not been the case. No, that's, and that's great that you had, you know, I'm sorry for that experience. That must have really been tough because it could have destroyed your confidence you know like he was in a position of power to where a, a negative remark like that could have really taken a bad effect you know and and that's the sad reality that we live in but it's amazing that you just kind of said you know what no like you're wrong 
and, and just kept going, you know, that's, that's very great. And then to have those other directors that are just in your corner, you know, it's, it's really good to have that because in this field, it, it takes a village, you know, like mm -hmm. to get anywhere and to get to the high, to the highest point you can get, you know, you have to have this, this support uh, from all corners of your life, you know, from school, from, you know, your teachers and your family and whatnot. So, you know, I'm glad you I had some good directors and then, you know, then you ended up at UT. And so what was your experience like, you know, going through undergrad in, in Austin? So I started at UT as a music education major and I really thought I wanted to be a band director because my band directors were so great and I wanted to pay that forward. Uh, and I stuck it out my first year as a freshman, was in the Longhorn Band. Uh, everything was great, honestly. I, I absolutely loved every year, all of my time at UT. Um, but then my sophomore year, I started to have to take secondary lessons on things. And I was filling out the form, and I remember this distinctly. I was sitting in George's um, with somebody, I don't remember who, and I was filling out the form for violin lessons. And I was like, Nah, fuck this. You're like, what am I doing? You're probably sitting with yeah. like, you're probably sitting with like TJ or Kazumi. Shout out to them. It was probably uh, both of them. It was to probably be them. And then you were probably, I could just see this now. You're just like, what the fuck? No, like, I'm not going to do this. And the, yeah, I remember. Well, yeah, I was like, wait, hold on. Don't I need to get better at my trumpet, like my instrument first before I can, you know, keep yeah learn different instruments and so i wasn't interested in that at all and i just wasn't interested in that lifestyle so i talked to my teacher uh who was Ray Suzaki, and he completely supported the decision and i changed to performance that next semester and um, i don't regret it at all i think it was the best decision i made because then i had way more free time and that's when i began getting into teaching in Austin and I taught in uh, Leander and it was a lot but they were really really great kids and um, Leander district is just incredible they have a lot of um, money to help students get lessons and also to provide them with good instruments um, and then before that I taught in Maynard ISD which uh, is pretty much the exact opposite of Leander ISD and I taught there for a very, very short stint as well. I, I know what you mean. It's it's tough over there. It is tough over there. They um, they definitely just come from different backgrounds. And um, I, I think that they do have a lot of resources, but it's not just what's happening at the band hall. It's also what's happening at home with all these and, students. And I feel like they're, they're very much, uh, maybe this isn't the case, but I got the impression that administration there is a little more concerned with with tech and with you know the kind of uh logic and stem fields over over music you know they're kind of just like oh eh, whatever about that you know um but leander is is a great district um they have a they do really well in pretty much all their musical endeavors i mean it's it's a really good program to teach at and uh you know, were you working with the marching band there at Leander too? I did not work with any marching bands when I lived here first. So I'm back in Austin. I guess I should have prefaced that right now. <laughs> uh, I'm in online school. We're, we're going to oh. the same school, Colburn. Um, but I relocated back to Austin from New Haven, which is where I was living um, last semester. 
But um, I didn't work with any marching bands when I was here. And I had just, I marched two seasons of drum corps when I first got here. Uh, my first two summers coming to UT, but I never really pursued anything past that. And then um, most recently, I have been working with a band. So now that yeah. I'm back in Texas, I do work with a band. So it's kind of funny how things just circle back around. Of course, yeah. And I bet that, um, you know, you kind of, do you feel good that you have that kind of marching experience with, you know, a really good drum corps to kind of fall back on? Like, you know, when you need to teach, especially in Texas, I mean, having a drum corps experience here is like, a, it's a golden ticket in some ways, I feel. You know, you can teach at all these different schools because they, marching band is so, is, is big here. So if you have that core yeah. experience, you know, you get, you get the big bucks and the, the big uh, programs to teach at. So it's good. For sure. Yeah. And I do think that um, related to that, I did get a lot out of drum corps too, even besides just the opportunities that it gave me. Um, but I really didn't struggle with any performance anxiety because of drum corps, because you're playing in front of thousands and thousands of people every night, pretty much. And it really taught me discipline for sure. Of course, um, yeah. I think that where I learned the most discipline was probably drum corps, and I hated it the first couple of weeks of both seasons. I wanted to go home. I was like, uh, please pick me up, Dad. I want to go home so bad. My body just hurt. It's it's brutal. It's a lot of hard work. I bet. Um, but you, but it's but totally you, worth it. Yeah, and, and you stuck with it, and you know every night you're out there, and you know people can can critique drum corps and marching. You know we've all had those teachers that the first thing they'll say is, you know, drum corps this and drum corps that, but hey, it's a valid music experience, musical experience. You know, it, it's, it takes so much hard work to get a show. The shows that they're doing nowadays too, I mean, the magnitude of these things is astonishing and it takes a, a lot of work, you know, yeah. on everybody's end. And, and the cool thing is that, you know, I feel like at these, at, in drum corps, especially the, the bigger ones, like, everybody's with it everybody's on the same wavelength and as we go on in life i feel like that is so much harder to find to find experiences where everybody is on the same page like all the time and you know i'm sure you have your outliers and whatnot but when you step onto the field nothing else matters you're just ready to put everybody's in in show mode so that is pretty cool and um you know how was it that so moving from Texas to a place like, like New Haven, where I'm sure marching band is not as popular uh, and just norms are, are different over there. You know, so how was that? Yeah. Number one, the most stark difference was the weather. And I know this isn't exactly answering your question, but it's uh, important though, man, it gets cold up there. My whole it gets so cold it, and it snows and <laughs> a lot, but that was that was definitely the biggest thing that I had to adjust to was the weather and um, just buying a lot of clothes and a lot of wool socks and boots and things that you never need in Texas and that I will never need until I go back if I ever do. But <clears throat> moving from uh, UT particularly, I mean, I'm, I'm still a student. I've pretty much just been a student the past seven years. Uh, to Yale and New Haven was um, the the playing opportunities. I think 
I was teaching a lot in Austin and I was playing with the wind ensemble, but I was never playing in orchestra ever. I was never assigned to orchestra. And, um, and, and let's, sorry to interrupt, but the wind <laughs> ensemble too, you know, I think that's also something to mention is, uh, you know, the UT wind ensemble. Like this is a group that, you know, if, you, if you're ever talking to people from other schools and you say, yeah, I was just in wind ensemble for like four years. They're like, oh, you poor thing. You never got to play an orchestra. Oh, I'm so sorry. But then you're like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand the, it was UT wind the, ensemble. the University of Texas wind ensemble. And I mean, yeah. So what was it like? You know, you, you played main, mainly in the wind ensemble and how do you feel? Yeah. I played in the wood ensemble all four years at UT, and I freaking loved it uh, every every second of it. We got to play at a lot of different conferences, and um, getting to know Jerry Junkin and playing under his baton is just an experience that uh, is invaluable. And if you ever get the opportunity, I think you should go for it. Um, and I really? thought that, that was yeah. I, I thought that uh, I was torn. I remember playing at graduation, you know, in the oh, commencement. Oh. And we played the Eyes of Texas. Oh. That was my last time playing the Eyes of Texas. And I went up to him and I just started bawling. I was like, oh, yeah. this is my last time. But then um, this past, or I guess it was almost a year ago, I got to play with the Dallas Winds and I got to be under his direction uh, again. And so um, I'm bummed that. Uh, everything is shut down because I would have loved to do that again this year. Yeah. But ensemble was incredible. For sure. I mean, you know, the level of playing people that this, this ensemble required of you. Okay. Like I was not the best student my first year. I will just put that out there. Anybody who knows me knows this, but I, I remember, <laughs> Oh my goodness. I walked in. <laughs> <laughs> to the, I think my, I remember what you're talking about. <laughs> I walked in. I walked in at two at twelve p.m. Yes, every every semester it never changed. It was twelve to two p.m. Monday, Monday Wednesday, Wednesday Friday. Friday. Six hours. Six hours. They they changed yes. it now to where it's it. You know, it's more on a on a sliding schedule, like when only when you have a concert coming up. But you know, six hours a week, and it was my first rehearsal. And I walked in at 12 p.m., thinking that I was just gonna set up. I walk into this massive percussion setup that all my colleagues, who were much more responsible than I was, had already set up. And I'm like, "Hey, uh, is there another snare drum around? Like, I need a second snare drum." And they just kind of looked at me like yo are you stupid you know that that spongebob episode hey pal you just rolling from stupid town like that's how oh, yeah. that's how it was and and i just remember immediately getting called out immediately you know <laughs> he was like what are you doing and i was just like <laughs> you know i i but then you of gotta course, love it though yeah because it's those experiences that that shape you and that you know change you and you know, over the over the course of the four years that I spent on and off playing in that ensemble, I grew so much. You know, you come to to love how much he demands of you, but he never does it in a in a rude way per se. You know, he's always there's a mutual respect that that he has. You know, where you walk in there and he's not going to waste your time and you're not going to waste his time, and and mm -hmm. he lives by that. And then you know, I should also note that you know in my in towards the end of my time there he changed the dress code a little bit to to where it was uh it wasn't by gender 
anymore. I don't think, I don't know if you remember that, but he said, you know, there's two, there's two dress options. You know, uh, you can dress, you can dress this way or you can dress this way. End of story. There was no men have to dress like this and women have to dress like that. And I think that that was, you know, really great, you know, to, for him, for Junkin to, you know, say that and to set that as a norm. Yeah. And I think that that should become more common throughout all performing ensembles, because there are a lot of people who don't identify as a woman or a man or whatever. And I don't think that you're the way that you dress should be in those categories. It's kind of like a, the line needs to be blurred a little bit more because you can't tell people what to wear based on their gender. Of course. Yeah, so I think that it was great that he did that. Yeah. As well. And so back to Yale. <laughs> okay, so to back take, to Yale. We had to take that detour. Just <laughs> a little to, pit stop. <laughs> yeah. In the in UT Win Ensemble land. This ensemble was great. But yes, back at Yale. So fun. Okay, so then back at Yale. Um, oh my gosh, I had imposter syndrome so, so bad. And I was like, how did I get into this school? Because uh, there was, I was in a studio of six. So going from UT, large studio, 20 plus students down to a studio of six, where you know everything about each other's playing and you play an orchestra together. The only ensemble is orchestra, Philharmonia. And we had a reading and we played the planets. And I remember just like not being able to hang. I, I was trying hard to do my best sight reading and I, I could not. My colleagues were phenomenal players and they were really pulling their weight. Um, so I learned a lot just by playing in the orchestra and just by kind of having to figure it out. Um, and that's when I fell in love with playing in the orchestra. So I feel like every time I play in an ensemble for a while, I just, I fell in love with it pretty much. Um, and I also played in a brass quintet while I was at Yale and we were, we were very competitive called the Elm Street Brass Quintet. And we actually submitted tapes for Fish Off this past nice. year and we got in and we advanced to semifinals and we received the American Brass Quintet Prize. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was, that was probably the best experience that I had while at Yale was playing in that brass quintet because we, uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> I just did we, a, I just did a clap reaction here on Zoom, everybody, because that is truly a phenomenal thing. It was, it was so fun and it was a lot of work too. We, we were always out really late, um, recording and it was freezing, like I said, but, um, just that kind of intensity and hard work was different than UT. I'm not saying that I didn't have to work that hard because I did, but it was just a different level because uh, everybody was really gung-ho and uh, it was, it's not a conservatory, but I feel like it's, it kind of has that vibe of yeah, and school music. It seems like that's kind of the vibe for the whole school, you know, for, for percussionists, you know, and shout out to the, to the Yale percussionists. Uh, they're insanely great YPG. musicians. YPG, you know, I mean, and as for percussionists, you know, I, I, came of age musically watching those videos of, of them playing. And I still, sometimes I, I think about it. I'm like, whoa, like Melissa was like there with, with them, like worked with, <laughs> worked with them. Cause they're just so great. They, they, they're insane players. And uh, you know, it's kind of just like, it's, it's really nice how that kind of vibe is is also like we, how we talked about with a lot of people being on the same page you know that like 
it seems like it's like that for the whole school, you know, like they're going to, you're going to grind and you're going to, you're going to lift each other up, you know? So like you said that you felt that your colleagues were a lot better than you, but at the same time, you know, that was probably making you so much better. You know, I'm sure you were great when you got there, otherwise you wouldn't have gotten in, but you know, you were, you were kind of, you felt the weakest in the bunch. So you absorbed everything. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, I was really on the grind, still am, but um, yeah, I mean, those two years were great. That's when I started taking auditions. I had never taken an audition at UT. That wasn't really the culture in our studio. but at Yale, everybody's taking auditions, and um, I I did pretty well on them. And I actually won an audition in the Johnstown Symphony Orchestra. Oh, and nice! And that's an original orchestra in like the middle of Pennsylvania. It I drove like six and a half hours to get there, and so I got a trial. Is what happened. I played this audition, got a trial, and I show up to the first rehearsal, walk in, and um, you know all the members are really nice. But here's another kind of cringy thing um the guys were like you know you played super well and we thought that you were this um this old seasoned player that we knew this man this old man but then it turns out that it's you and i was like what does that mean compliment what does that mean oh we thought (laughs) that so it's kind of another one of those examples and it's just it's a small thing but stuff like that happens a lot even then like i wouldn't even say that's a small thing too like yes that is i guess it's technically a microaggression but you know what does that mean would he have said that to you if you were like a white dude like if one of you if you were the same age and you're a white guy do you think he would have said that to you because i i don't think so you know i think i don't think so because yeah that's and were you like one of the only you know female females in the section um in the trumpet section yes there were some females in the horn section and there was also another woman who was playing trombone and and she was on a trial as well but um you know i another experience with that same orchestra and i'm not trying to say this is like a toxic orchestra it's not but um but this is just how pervasive all this is it's it's everywhere yeah um this you know i I showed up, I knew my part, I did my best, the best job I did. Didn't talk, you know, just did my job. And a friend of mine had told me that one of his friends in the orchestra had comment, had commented on what I was wearing and said, why is she wearing that? And I was wearing jeans and a sweater and boots because it was freezing. And I was like, literally me having a trial in this orchestra has nothing to do with my appearance or what I'm wearing it's my playing. Uh, so that's just another really shitty thing that kind of happened uh, in the past year was just somebody commenting on what I was wearing when I was literally just in casual wear. Yeah. And it's cold, you know, like, it's not like, it, it's not even the typical bullshit that they give when it's like, Oh, she's wearing, uh, you know, a t-shirt and shorts and, you know, it's revealing or, you know, the usual bullshit that they say, but it's, how are you supposed to dress? Like what would have pleased them exactly? And, and why well, they would not have said that if you were a man, like that is just fact. They would not have, you know, said, Oh, what is he, what is he wearing? You know, if you were wearing jeans like, and a why sweater. Why is he wearing a button up or yeah. whatever? You don't question that. But yeah. 
uh, it was weird. It was a weird experience. But anyway, the orchestra was fun. And then I ended up applying to Colburn and I got in and then I was planning on doing that. And then the pandemic hit and here we are. And here we are, you know. And so with everything, you know, how do you stay sane? You know, because I know that I have trouble finding motivation and I know I'm not alone. And, you know, it's like every time I like seem to message you, you're like, yeah, you know, I just, uh, you know, I just like practice for three hours. I'm teaching now. And then later I'm going to go run. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm sitting here uh, <laughs> watching The Sopranos, eating a bowl of ramen. And I may or may not like have showered, you know? So it's like, <laughs> it's like, what is your kind of outlook on life? I feel like you're a very centered person and just, how do you go about your living? Well, I uh, I recently discovered something on a run, actually. That's where I got my thinking <laughs> in. Um, and it was that my life is and my mood and how I approach my day and how I feel at the end of the day is all centered around two things. Sleep and trumpet. So wow. if those two things go well then it's a good day. And I don't think about it that way. I'm just living my day, but um, they kind of rule my life and I wish it wasn't that way. You know, I wish I could have more separation between me and my instrument, but um, that's just the honest truth. And I've also come to terms with the fact that I have to accept my circumstances. And I think that everybody I hope that everybody will come to that at some point during this pandemic because yes, it really blows. We all know that uh, life was a lot better before this, but um, the connections that I've made through these different communities and trying to make a difference and actually pouring my heart into work that I enjoy and that I love has helped me stay sane. Uh, I've also gotten really into reading, which I was never a reader until um, the past year really. And that has, that's been great because it kind of takes me everything. And journaling as well. Uh, I've been journaling I feel a certain way um, and just trying to iron it out a little bit, you know? Yeah. For so sure. I think that uh, I try to take every single day, one day at a time. And that's all you can really do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a simple thing, but if you can work, it's a simple thing to strive for and a, and a harder thing to achieve. But, you know, when you have a simple goal that is like in front of you, I think that the work that you can do to attain that is, is clear. And I think that that clarity is, is what helps us find that, that process and that ever continuing walk towards that goal so i i, I admire yeah. that i like that and yeah, that's that's really cool i i know that i can i can kind of afford to live more day by day you know i'm always thinking about oh my goodness what am i going to be doing 10 years from now it's like that doesn't matter you know 10 right years now, from now that, that does not matter yeah because you know 10 years from now is 10 years from now i you know we just we just don't know and so i i like that we had a masterclass with the Colburn Brass Department last week, and it was um, with this life coach person. And the biggest takeaway that I 
that I took away from it <laughs> was uh, you got to figure out what you want. What, what do you want in your life? And then you got to work backwards. Okay, me, my dream is to play in the Metropolitan Orchestra. So what do I have to do before that? I probably have to land a job in another major symphony. Okay, before that, this, 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 this. And you keep going back until you get to, okay, what do I need to do this week? And then each day you say, okay, here's what I got to do. And it can be straightforward. I mean, mine are straightforward. I know that I want to excel at the instrument. I want to be in shape. I try to exercise at least 30 minutes, of like four times a week. And I know that I need to make time for myself. Plus social friends. Okay, so those are like the four things. It got to happen. And then you, you work sometime in there yeah. <laughs> to make money. But um, yeah, just really making it so simple that and attainable, attainable goals as well. So yeah, for sure. It's a lot, um, it's a lot easier said than done. But the good thing about, about that philosophy is that you can do as little or as much as you need to. Like if you retrace your steps all the way back to, okay, literally all I need to do right now is, is touch my instrument today and just make some sounds. And that, that can be all you do for 10, 15 minutes. You know, you're still putting in that work. And if you can consistently do that, that, that is, you know, especially during this pandemic, that is already great. You know, you're already winning at that point. So that's good. And then, you know, my last question is, um, what would you say to your younger self? What would you say to the Melissa who is entering UT and bright eyed and just off of the, the bus from drum corps? What would you say to that, <laughs> Melissa? Um, so this, this piece of advice is advice that I got while I was at UT from Ray Sasaki, who was my mentor and one of my biggest inspirations still to this day. Uh, and it is hit it hard and wish it well. And that's what he would say before every performance, just hit it hard and wish it well. Wow. So. That's, you know, as a percussionist, I've never heard that piece of advice and I feel cheated out of it. I feel like <laughs> yeah, I should have. It seems like it makes more sense for you actually. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that to myself, to myself, to myself. I'm going to start, I'm going to start saying that to myself, hit it hard and, and wish it well, you know, that can apply to so many things. You got, could be bass drum right there. I don't know why I think about, think about the bass drum and, uh, Verity's Requiem, you know, the ga boom, ga boom, ga boom. That's, nice. that's some, that's some piece of advice that I'd give for that. Well, you know, thank you so much, Melissa. It's been great talking to you about all this. And thank you so much for sharing your experiences and, and being able to open to talking about them. And, uh, you know, I think that my goal with this is to have people listen to students and to say, hey, like, just because I don't know this person's name right off the bat, like I would if they were a professional, like their experiences still matter. And their experiences are are valid because they are happening you know that these you know university programs they're always you know at least attempting on the surface to make things better for students and to kind of understand and my aim for this is to have that understanding be made more clear and so I just really appreciate your honesty and you know how you are so well-spoken and talking about your, you know, outlook on life and your playing and your passion for the instrument. You know, I can, it's, it's very evident that you love playing trumpet. 
and that you love music. So thank you for sharing that with all of us. And uh, yeah, everybody go check out Brass Out Loud, you know, especially if you're a brass player, you cannot, you simply cannot miss this. I mean, they have- You don't want to miss it. it would, you don't. It would you be don't. so bad if you did. If you miss it, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to walk you through step by step if you miss it. <laughs> step one, your hair is going to fall out. Step two, <laughs> step two you're going to lose your hearing. And then step three, you just, you're not going to wake up the next day. I don't know why. I don't know why, but this is just the case, people. So if you are a brass player, please check out Brass Out Loud. And as always, Melissa, it was great talking with you. So thank you very much. And yeah. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me on and best of luck with this podcast. I think it's, it's great. You have a great thing going and I know that it's going to be really helpful for a lot of people. Thank you.